This is a really interesting time for storyline, don't you think? Not that there have really ever been any uninteresting times for storyline. It's been our ordinary season. <laughs> but I, I think that uh, I think this is one in particular that once we get a few years down the road, we'll look back on this and go, "This was this was a this was a unique time in our life." Um, and I'm not talking about like the worship, the sudden change of worship gathering venue and having to scramble about that. I think really what's on my mind is um, more to like how we identify ourselves and how we think of ourselves. Um, you know, when I first came, we were described as a network of house churches. And very quickly later, a network of missional communities. Um, but then something uh, we we did something last this past fall that uh, that changed something, and that was we decided to end the Junius Heights missional community, and which I think believe was the right thing for us to do for that. But it created something that I'm pretty sure has never happened before in Storyline's history, which is we now have a group of partners, Storyline partners, that are not part of a missional community for the first time ever. And that has been it has been an interesting um, an interesting thing to try to process through. It's it's been a big topic of discernment in the leadership team, trying to go well. What does it really mean to be a partner in storyline if you're not actively in a missional community? And I, I bring this up right now, knowing that it's for many of us it's not a hypothetical question. Um, it has been our lived reality for several months, and so. Before I go off and talk about what I'm going to talk about, I just want to open it up to the group here. Like, what, what do you think? What is, when you think about that question of identity, what does it mean to be a partner in storyline, even if you're not part of a missional community? What, what does that mean to you? Junius Heights missional community um, that's been sort of disbanded. For me, I don't know, being a part of Storyline is more than just what missional community I identify myself with. Like, being a part of Storyline is having this group um, where we have like shared values about how we think we should live and having space to I don't know to to share like my triumphs and my struggles throughout life and also having people that are pushing me to be a better person and I feel like being a partner means I'm committed to doing that for everyone else while also knowing that the community is doing that for me too. And so even it's kind of a weird time where I feel like I don't have a missional community per se, I still have you know, I still have everyone here. Yeah. 
Thank you. So what, what it is for me is uh, disorienting and grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in my 40-plus years of Christianity, the times that you know, I met in the, the house of our juniors was some of the richest experiences, period, in my 40-plus years. And uh, I understand, I accept, I don't like it. I've breathed in maybe until breathing some level, but it's in the way of like graduate college and going into what? Mm-hmm. When you're at home, there's home and there's routine. You go to college and there's pattern. And then you go to college and you go, what? There's no show up here, you know, you better curfew, you better pay, you know, this kind of, what? That's my feeling. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting analogy there. Growing, growing up and going off to college. Interesting. Graduating from college. Graduating from college and going out into the world. You go from to college, yeah. there's going to be structure. Yeah. Or else you're out of there, Jack. Uh-huh. But once you get out of college, there's no... Interesting. There's no pathway. Thanks, John. Who am I? Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so, I'll share... Uh, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. I totally agree with John, and I think so many of us have wonderful sentiments surrounding our official community, and I don't want this to pivot back to another wake for the community we've said you know, farewell to, but, uh, you know, when it was, it was, there were times that it was really, really good, lots of just cherished and special memories, and then I think those of us that especially were, you know, in it for the full arc of it, there were times of inertia and speaking focus and, mm-hmm. and the, the things that led to us wondering when we pivot. And, you know, one of the, the, the meditation process that I read uh, within the last few months that I've, that I've been trying to apply to my life is you know, when you read a really good book, and, and especially if it's like a thriller or something like that, and some you know, catalyst event happens to the main character. And you go, I wonder what so-and-so is going to do next. You know, how are they going to overcome this ending disaster off the tenth of the book? That's not what's going to be a disaster in our lives. But it's to take that mentality of, I wonder what Miles is going to do next, as a way to praise the things that happen in our lives that may be bad, may be good. You know, for me, one that I've been applying it to, and we'll share about this today, um, is, you know, my company sort of uprooted my whole world perspective uh, with the world, with BFW of the world. Uh, it is. It feels like it. Honestly. Uh, <laughs> where Frisco is another country. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and this, this thing happened that for me made me feel very upside down. Uh, and so approaching it this perspective of, I wonder what Miles is going to do next. And that lets me view that as a catalyst rather than a stabilizer. And so I think in the same way for me, missional community and, and missional community within storyline is a space for all of us to say, I wonder what Miles is going to do next. And apply that to a kingdom focused position. So what you're saying is that you're going to hear it all for a while. <laughs> <laughs> He's very humble. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Thank you. But I hope all of you do ask what is Miles going to do. <laughs> Every day. <laughs>
Megan. question about what does it mean to be a storyline partner if you're not part of the missional communities it's it's real for a lot of us it's very real for me um and in a lot of ways uh i think back to 2014 when we birthed the genius heights missional community out of uh, belmont and like there was there was a group of us and we were all like we all shared a vision. We all shared a sense of calling and purpose and a lot of excitement. And we went out and started that. And as much as that was a group thing, I also kind of felt like it was a me thing because um, we were meeting at my house. It was my neighborhood. And in many ways, this is, at the time, this was the reason that Megan and I kind of landed at Storyline was because we thought, we want to do something like this. And going through for four years leading that group, which was a wonderful time. But by 2018, I was fatigued, uh, a little bit burnt out. And then for, for a variety of reasons, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And, uh, and there for a while, I, Megan and I, we stepped out of leadership. And then, sh- and then later on that year, we made the decision, and I think it was first brought up in, in late 2018, that this community probably needs to... Uh, needs to end and I remember talking with it with with everyone about that and I think we all understood it up here we couldn't let it go down here and it took us a year it took until this past fall uh, before we finally pulled the trigger on that but um, you know so I find myself now in this odd spot and had lots of conversations about well can you be a leader in storyline if you're not leaving additional community can you be a leader in storyline if you're not even part of the missional community? Like, like what again? What, what does what does all of this mean? This hits me very real. And I, I if I, I look at my life right now and, and I think, well, you know, I've got space. We've got the weekend off. Like, could we start thinking about starting up something new? And I look back over my own experience of running a missional community, leading one, and I think, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not ready to get into that again. That's that's a lot. And so I find myself a little stuck, a little overwhelmed. And so um, instead, I've just been kind of leaning into the other two corners of the triangle um, and have been, have been enjoying that. We're at the very beginning of the season of Lent right now. Uh, historically in the church, Lent is a season of fasting. It's a season of prayer. It's a time for reflection and introspection. And its purpose is to prepare ourselves as individuals and as a community 
for the celebration of the resurrection at Easter, which is coming in six weeks. Um, the biblical inspiration for Lent comes from our gospel reading today, which is Jesus going out into the wilderness at the very beginning of his ministry in preparation as he comes out and begins his mission um, into a world that was clearly not ready for it and uh, and shocked and surprised lots of different people. That world that he uh, came out into, there's a lot of stuff going on politically and also culturally and also religiously. Um, right, They were in, in Palestine in a Roman province called Judea. So the official governmental structure was set up by Rome and there was a Roman governor. But even still, there was an ethnic Jewish king that was the king of the Jews. His name was Herod. But his power came from Rome. He was very shrewd. He was very politically powerful and made good connections and, and got into that position because he was able to deal with Caesar and the, the rest of the Romans. And it worked out quite well for him. He was very wealthy, had a nice place to live. But he also like did some stuff for his people. It was, it was you know, the temple in Jerusalem is thought of as Herod's temple. Um, he, he financed it. And that meant that the Jews were able to practice their worship. Like the priests were able to be at the temple and offer sacrifices and do, and, and do all of that. But if you listen to the teachings from the priests in the high temple, you probably wouldn't hear too much, too many things critical of Rome. Because they kind of knew where the money was coming from. They kind of understood the, the power dynamic and the structure. And so, while they probably arguably did a lot of good, the established church of the day also like turned a blind eye to some things. But they weren't the only religious group out there, right? There was another one that may not have had the power so much, but were probably more influential in the smaller towns around the area. Um, and they, although preaching from the same Bible, focused a little bit more on the writings, on the prophecies, on the Messiah that's going to come, on the resurrection of the dead. Um, they were a little bit more anti-establishment. Um, and, and so they, in conflict with the, 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 the high priests, of course, I'm talking about the Pharisees versus the Sadducees. Um, and so you have this, this disagreement between different religious groups. And then, of course, there is a more extreme group that was a little bit more politically motivated than they were religiously. But you can imagine them listening to the teachings of the Pharisees and then ramping it up a little bit and becoming a little bit more radicalized. These were what we call the zealots. They were the terrorists of the day. Like, they would destroy things, they would kill people, they would do acts of violence to try to get rid of the Romans, to try to fight back against the powers. And so you have this, this very chaotic, this very um, politically divided region, religiously divided region. Like, depending on where you go to church, you might believe one thing or a different thing about the politics of the day. Um, depending on where you grew up or who you knew or who you talked to. Um, very divided about all kinds of things. And into this, Jesus shows up and begins to conduct his mission. And you can tell that none of the groups, that he really fits into the molds of any of these groups, because they all hate him. In fact, if you fast forward to the very end of his story, the way that they were able to arrest him and have him executed required the collaboration of all of these groups of people that violently hated each other. It took Herodians and Pharisees and Sadducees to finally get him. 
But yet he came with something so unique and so different that it wasn't recognized by any of the religious groups of the day. So, a lot of times when we go back and look at Jesus going into the wilderness, we see him going in to to prepare himself and to come up with his plans that he can go out and that he can execute this ministry. And we see Jesus showing up on the scene so different from everything else. It's almost like he comes from out of nowhere. But the thing is, Jesus didn't come from out of nowhere. right? We know the story of his birth. He didn't just show up one day, 30 years old, and begin his ministry. He was born. He had a childhood. He grew up in all of that political mess, right? Do we know the political leanings of Mary and Joseph or of the Nazareth community? Were they more um, Pharisee or Sadducee? Was there some of both in there? Like, he went to the temple in Jerusalem for Passover. So he probably was interacted with both Pharisees and Sadducees. He probably heard lots of arguments and fights and saw violence. He saw Roman soldiers. He probably saw Roman soldiers do good things and bad things. He probably saw zealots like do things that were questionable but honorable. And that was what he grew up in. So to say that he came from like out of nowhere, like he definitely was invested and involved and came from that context and probably had a lot of baggage from his own upbringing. And so at the very beginning of his ministry, before he goes, before he begins to preach, before there's any disciples or any miracles or anything, Right at the very beginning, he goes off into the desert. And what I want to say, the the sentence that I first wrote down for this was that he dropped his baggage and he went off to the desert to prepare himself. But I think anybody that has ever had any baggage knows you cannot just drop it. Like, that's that's hard to do. And in fact, I think that's kind of the point of going off to the desert in the first place, is that you need to go to the desert to work on yourself so that you can begin to let go of some of these things. It's in the desert where you're by yourself, alone, that you actually have to confront who you are, that you have to be aware of everything that you've brought because you've got literally nothing else with you that you're getting up there. And And it's the time when, as the story puts it, like you have to confront your tempter. You have to confront the things that are getting in your way that are going to mess with you, that are going to mess you up, and that are going to confuse you. The the other thing about Jesus in the desert, and I think another really easy fallacy to buy into, is that he comes out of the desert with a plan for what he's going to do. Like, all right, I was in the desert... And I did my SWAT, and I did my thing, and I wrote my goals down, I've got my three-year plan, and here I am, and I'm going to start doing it. And he begins to work down his plan. But, like, anybody that actually read the story knows that looks at what he does and where he goes and how he interacts, that is not a man following a plan. Like, it is very random, seemingly. Like, he goes somewhere, runs into somebody has a conversation and all of a sudden it seems like there seems to be a movement building people are gathering 
people are getting excited, something's going to happen, and right at that moment, he leaves and goes over here and has another chance encounter with somebody completely different. They talk about something very different. And then, for whatever reason, something else starts to build up. And right when it seems to be gaining traction, he goes off again and goes somewhere else and does something even different. It seems like it's random. What's going on here? As I was preparing the... As I was reading over the gospel readings through Lent, um, preparing this series that we're going to be doing, every single one of them is an encounter that Jesus has with somebody that is different from the other one. Um, none of all of them, I think we could probably say, are missional, but none of them resemble church planting or um, traditional mission work or anything like that. They're little conversations. They are moments of vulnerability. They are opportunities to help people. And you can see in the periphery, the people that are religious don't recognize what Jesus is doing as mission, as church planting, as any of those things. In fact, they, there's, there's one encounter where they get very upset about it. You did what on the Sabbath? That's not what you're supposed to do on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for going to church. And you're doing something else? That's not right. So what did he do in the desert? And how did he come out with, with this? And how is he so successful? Our, our readings this month, with the exception of today's, are all from the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John, more so than I think the other three, really reflect this idea that Jesus knew who he was. I think when he was in the desert, when he was working on himself, dropping his baggage, confronting his tempter, being comforted by angels, he was getting a very clear sense not only of who he was, but of who God is in his relationship with God. And like I said, you hear it in John's Gospel a lot. The Father loves me and I love the Father. And I don't do what I want to do, but I do the will of my Father because he sent me. And those who love me will do what I say, but it's not because of what I say, because of what the Father says. And I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And I love you, I love the world, because the Father loves the world. But the world doesn't know the Father, and the world has rejected me. Like, there's that very clear understanding of who he is, where he's from, who God is, who God means to him, who God means to the world. And with that knowledge and that confidence that comes from it, he's able to take a posture that wherever he goes, whatever he does, seems to be meaningful. And so he doesn't come out and say, okay, I've got a plan, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go to Samaria, and I'm going to find somebody, I'm going to talk to this person, and we're going to build a group here. No, he's just like, I think I'm thirsty, and there's some well, there's some water in this well here, and this woman could get some for me. But because of he, who he knows he is, because of who he knows that God is, that encounter changes her life. And so on, and so on, and so on. Every single conversation is like that. Not from a plan, not from a strategy, not from a big idea or a vision or a dream, but just because from a confidence of the knowledge of his own identity.
So I think back to myself and my own struggle with identity, my reluctance to lean out, my reluctance to be missional. Um, (laughs) And then I think about like what Megan had already shared. Like we had this space last week to give space for missional community, and I'm like, okay, cool. And what did we do? We had our neighbors over. Did we have communion? No. Did we teach them from the scriptures? No. Did we pray? No. Were we planting a seed in them to begin to build a relationship so that long term they might one day come to ask us about our faith and we can then proclaim? No. Honestly, I don't know if what we did was mission or church or anything, but it was fun to have them over. It felt like the right thing to do. It came up from a place of desire, and it came from a place of confidence of who we're discovering that we are. And maybe that is church, maybe that isn't, maybe it looks like it, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But when I think about looking out, I think I could do stuff like that. I think, I think if I focus on just the small interactions, the small postures, not having to have a plan, not having to work a strategy, not having to even be able to build a big movement around that, like maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. Every time Jesus started to do it, he left, dispersed the crowd and went somewhere else. Um, I don't know. So I'm hoping that this Lent as we're in the desert together, as we are working on ourselves and reflecting, trying to deal with our baggage, trying to deal with our tempter, that when we gather here on Sunday mornings and we read these stories of these little encounters that Jesus had with people, that we might spark a little bit of imagination, a little bit of creativity, a little bit of inspiration for perhaps a different way to think about going out. A different way to think about missions. Something that's a little bit more approachable, a little bit more attainable. Maybe it's even something that we're already doing. But maybe just to get those ideas flowing again. Because we are partners in mission. We are spiritual. We are, what is the, what is the phrase of these now? A, spirit, a community of spiritual families on mission together. So I don't know. I'm going to turn this back to the group now. Like how, does, how, how do you respond to this? How does this sit with you? What do you think about about this idea? So that means we have three more minutes. <laughs> you know, Ted, one, I think Val and I were, were having a conversation. I can't remember who we went. Uh, maybe it was a so 
we were from from our early time in storyline, a, a common theme or a common question we've asked ourselves is, is this Gavis Church? <laughs> <laughs> and and it was with the doctor because Duncan made a great point. He said, one, who's counting? It's <laughs> a great question. And two, what's the definition of church? And and for us, it's been a you know goodness almost I think eight year exploration of does this count as church? And one of my favorite things about storyline is it's challenged us in that definition in myriad ways that have developed and changed over time. And so today I really resonated with what you said about having neighbors over. Uh, you know, for the for the sake of, of connecting with other human beings that happen to live in proximity to you. Yeah. And um, to me, where I'm at today is that I don't know if that's church or not, but it sure feels like what we ought to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the spirit that, in my own thought process, recently I've been leaning into when looking over the precipice of being in a new neighborhood, brand new neighbors in a brand new space is, you know, for me, I've come to start calling that kingdom living. Uh, we're all humans, we're all on a journey together, and whether it counts as church or not, I'm not sure, but it's, it's what I have to do. Cool. Thanks, Miles. Uh, I appreciate the impulse to uh, simplify or to make less intimidating and more approachable the idea of participating in God's mission. I like what Ben talks about it, just like paying attention. Yeah. Right? Being available. Uh, even a little shrug you did to paying attention. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> We emulate those who love us. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll say, so I'm all for that. I'm all for that. And I I guess I read your line of thought about Jesus and strategy, um, plans and all that. I'm, well, I would like to say that's hyperbole, Ted. Because mm-hmm. um, I do think Jesus has strategy. Mm-hmm. I do think he had a plan. He had some very clear boundaries. So there's a way we could take it too far to say, oh, it's just kind of like spontaneous, you know, it's kind of in the moment, and so it never ends up happening. Like there's no uh, there's no intention to be to pay attention if that's a word. so I feel and maybe that's you know, it's my personality too, to like have goals, plans and things. And I, I wanna hold that loosely and I think there is a way and I'm I'm receiving what you're saying about like there is a way that plans and strategy and all of that can make it way too complicated and heavy. And if that's happening with our strategy and plans, then something's going wrong. Something's something's breaking down. Um, that's it's not serving the purpose that it should. Um, but yeah, I'm you know for multiple reasons. I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm feeling the tensions, but mostly just embracing the impulse to make joining what God is doing in the world as accessible as possible. So, is that... Yeah, no. That, that's my attempt to... I want to be honest, yeah. but but not at the not at the expense of denigrating what you're saying. Yeah, no, and I, I appreciate that. And let me say this. I think initial communities are good. 
I think where we have them currently, we should continue to have them and grow them. I think we should look to, to create new ones and grow and start new ones. I, I still believe in all of that. The space that I'm wrestling in is this middle tier yeah. spot where it's like, what do you do when there's not one? Yeah. Right? Maybe there, maybe something will show up and I'll be like, I'm going to be part of that. And I will. But like right now, I think there's an opportunity to still have that posture, to still want to go out and to not have to take on the whole thing. Yep. Just be like, I'm going to go, I'm going to pay attention yep. and listen and see. Yep. Yeah. Thank you, Charles. Yeah, for me, I, I resonate with that. I kind of grew up, I grew up in uh, a church tradition where evangelism was something that was very important, and evangelism was basically telling people about Jesus so they would also believe in Jesus and join your church. And so I really uh, struggle with the thought of strategy if there's this, like, end goal in mind of conversion in the, the traditional sense. And so for me, I think the tension is you can have the intention, the plan to pay attention, but to me it's like my purpose is to love people and there's not a goal with like because I love you, you will now agree with me or believe what I believe, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm supposed to love you because you're a freaking human being. Like, yeah. you know? And, and, and so, like, having a, I guess that is, like, a strategy. <laughs> but I agree with you, Charles. It's kind of hard because I think it's really easy to go way on the extreme. And it's easy to overcompensate kind of swinging back before those two things. So I think it's hard, but I think, like, I love, like, Megan's story of what you guys did last week because I think that's really beautiful. Like, to me, um, spending time with people, anyone, and, like, extending hospitality, sharing food, just getting to know people, it's, it's, to me, like, to me, it is like church. It is like to me, like having that meal together is communion. Like you're connecting with each other, you're loving each other, you're sharing space with each other. Like that's beautiful, and I I think that's something you should continue to lean into, regardless of if you don't have the like set structure of a community, right? Like our goal is to love God and to love people, no matter where we find ourselves. This concept of transactional love, sorry, both of you, is something that a lot of us, in religious trauma, a lot of us in this room struggle with processing. Mm-hmm. And then I have the same paralysis as well of, I don't want to do that, and I want to love unconditionally, but so where does that lead to? Yeah. So that's that intention of love. Yeah, with Sharon and the John.
I understood. I I heard the word seasons before I came to storyline. Heard a whole lot since. And so it's but this this group goes through seasons. We're just in a season. That's all. This is just a season. This too will pass. Be something else on the other side of this season. Then more seasons. Now I'm thinking about the show of Israel. They had to move around. They didn't get to plant and, and be, you know, first had his cows here forever and everything you may be. No. God bless them. But we're not them. And they're not us. That is true. Thank you, John. <coughs> Thanks, everybody. everybody for sharing. Let's pray. God, thank you for Storyline. Thank you for this group of people you have brought together. Given us a shared calling, shared mission, shared values. 
just thank you for bringing us together, for creating this sense of belonging and community. Be with us now as we're going into the desert. God, help us to work on ourselves. Help us to work on dropping our baggage, confronting our tempter. Reveal yourself to us. Open our eyes to see you as you are, where you are. Give us the confidence in who we are and in who you are as we prepare to leave the desert. May these stories in your word inspire us, move us, challenge us. Lord, may we see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.